This is Dr. Karen, and this is the Are They 18 Yet podcast, where I help parents raise independent, self-sufficient kids without sacrificing their own identity and sense of purpose. I'm here to share practical day-to-day solutions and actionable advice for supporting systemic changes so we can make this world a more inclusive and accepting place now and for future generations. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and this is episode nine of the Are They 18 Yet podcast. I am really excited about this interview with Mike McLeod. This is part two of our interview. So if you haven't checked out the first part, check out episode eight, where we talk about executive functioning and motivation in kids with ADHD. To give you a little refresher of who Mike is, he is a speech-language pathologist who specializes in ADHD and executive functioning. In episode eight and in this episode, episode nine, I got a ton of insight from this conversation, and I know that you will as well. So in this episode, in this conversation, Mike and I are going to continue our discussion on ADHD, and we're going to start off by talking about sensing time. And I had some big aha moments during this conversation, not just about how I can help support kids, but also about why I sometimes get overwhelmed and procrastinate with certain things. He talks a little bit about how hard it is for kids with ADHD and anyone really who has a hard time with executive functioning, how sensing time can be difficult and what that does to motivation, what that does to your ability to get started. So it really made me think about What is going on in my head whenever I'm procrastinating about something or blowing something out of proportion and thinking it's going to be this huge, overwhelming thing when really it's not, and when I'm actually shooting myself in the foot in a way because I am not necessarily having a good understanding of how long something is going to take in planning. And this is something that happens a lot in kids who might commonly procrastinate on things that seem to be really simple on the surface and might seem to be something that is obviously simple to you as you're trying to support them. So if you have kids who do this, then you are going to love this episode. In the second part of the conversation, I also had some big insights because We talked about technology, gaming, social media, and what it's doing to attention spans and what can often happen for kids with ADHD or with signs and symptoms or tendencies of. The whole purpose of me sharing this is not to shame people about letting their kids use devices or 
be on their phones. We all know that gaming and devices are here to stay. It's not about taking things away. It's about understanding the impact that they have and creating the appropriate structure and experiences that your kids need in order to have healthy, successful lives and learn the skills that they need in order to be successful later on. This just gave me some big aha moments and made me rethink things on a different level. We actually, in my family, had a discussion about this interview afterwards and reset some boundaries about device use in our house. So I strongly encourage you to do the same, and I know that you'll really enjoy this interview if that's something that comes up a lot in your house and you want to figure out a way to have healthy boundaries around device use so that you can get your things done and so that your kids can develop the skills that they need in order to have strong social skills and time management and organization, and also so that they can develop the language skills that they need in order to have genuine connections with people in order for them to have those varied experiences that set them up for success. I wanted to remind you, if you have been enjoying these episodes, I would love if you would leave me a five-star review on Apple or wherever else you listen to your podcasts. I would appreciate that. And I might also give you a shout out on a later episode. So with that, let's get into episode nine with Mike McLeod. When you talk about the the issue with sensing time, mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just curious how technology has played into that and if you have some specific tools that you recommend for people to help their their kids be able to sense time. Absolutely. Uh, so technology has definitely caused, uh, it, there's pros and cons to both. Uh, having a phone in your pocket and being able to set multiple alarms is quite helpful to these kids, but it's responding to that alarm after it goes off and not just shutting it off. It's mm-hmm. actually it's actually getting those alarms set up and started in the phone to begin with. Because there's going to be some pushback to saying, okay, set an alarm every day after school for homework. But technology is helpful. It helps parents uh, set more alarms for you know limiting screen time and things like that. It can be used to your advantage. But in terms of sensing time and feeling time, uh, nothing is going to replace, you know, the two hands of an analog clock. Yeah. And just like we had when we were kids in elementary, middle and high school, being able to see the the arm that th- those two hands move around the clock throughout the day really helps you sense the time and be able to see how it goes throughout the day. That's very, very important. If parents can get that clock and uh, get more of those analog clocks in their home, uh, if they could have... Uh, you know, conversations with them about, okay, you started at this time. You know, this is something parents really need to go out of their way and make sure that they're making it external first so that their kid takes it in internally and gains these internal skills. So the more conversations they have about start time, end time, amount of time, uh, you, you know, whether they take a drive to the supermarket together, you know, make a note of what time it is, and they can guess, uh, you know, this, it's 12 o'clock, there might be a little bit of traffic. So I think we'll get there by 1220. 
Have mm-hmm. a little conversation about it. Turn the car on, drive to the supermarket, and then talk about, hey, we got here in 15 minutes. I, you know, I, my estimate was a little wrong. You know, have a little conversations about it. Talk about time and all of the thoughts that you have as a parent or a teacher about time. Talk about it out loud instead of keeping it inside and internal. Make it out loud and model, 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 and that way they're going to internalize these time management skills. So really, it's just about taking, number one, showing them time physically with an analog clock or something like that that shows a visual representation, but also taking day-to-day tasks and drawing the connection. So for example, I know my husband used to tell my stepdaughter when she was younger, let's say something was in four days or something like that. He'd say four sleeps until this happens. So she could tell like this is a day or she could draw a connection between a specific thing that she was doing and how long it was going to take before something else was going to happen. In, is that inter- kind of what inter- you're saying? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Th- yeah. That, that, that's, that's really exactly it. That's really exactly the thing that uh, needs to be noted um, in terms of, you know, knowing when time is passing and start time end time. This is yeah. a, this, this is a crucial skill that's needed, you know, in high school and college. Think about how assignments are given in high school. It's basically, yeah. okay, this is the assignment. Uh, you need to chunk it yourself. You need to get this done over a couple of weeks and here's the due date. It's not like in middle school and elementary school where the teacher's doing every step with you and you're doing it as a class, you're doing it as a group. You need to manage your own time. And mm-hmm. if you have a high schooler or a college kids that, that is procrastinating and leaving all of the work to the last minute, that's when you're going to have some issues. Yeah. With the procrastination thing, how can you tell when it's just your work style versus when it's a problem? Because I know I tend to be more on the anxiety side where I think in my head, hmm, I have a week to do this. It's going to take me a day. But what if something happens later in the week and I don't get to get it done? Well, I should do it now because to me, that's kind of risk mitigation. I have Mm -hmm. so much anxiety about something happening later and not being able to do it that I want to do it now. But other people might think, okay, I literally cannot motivate myself to do this until I know the deadline is closer. And I know some people who can function pretty well this way, but then other people who they're pulling an all-nighter and the work quality suffers. How do you know when you've crossed that line? That is another excellent question. And the way that you phrased it, you really phrased your executive functioning and your future planning skills. So if, if you were uh, you know, working with the student and you gave them that example, I, you would really see a light bulb go off mm-hmm. of the way of, hey, I have a week to do it, but what if something happens? I should get it done today. You know, is that really your anxiety or is it really just your strength and executive functioning and future planning skills? You know, that's really, you know, th- that's that's very strong executive functioning. And that, that's very, that's something that, you know, a kid can really learn from. Mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's an excellent example. In terms of procrastination and it being your learning style, uh, it's really just how often is it happening? Is it a yeah. chronic issue? Everybody procrastinates. Everybody has a least favorite class. You can be in, I work with AP students who are going to go to Ivy League schools that are so impressive and so amazing but they'll take a Spanish class or they'll take a science class that is just not in their main area of interest and they will miss assignments and they will have trouble in that specific class. Does that mean that there is it it's an executive function difficulty? No. They're, you know, they're being a typical teenager. They're being a typical person who is, you know, 
uh, prioritizing preferred over non-preferred. But yeah. when it's when it's chronic, like I said before, and there's a list of you know 10, 15, 20 missing assignments, and it's happening over and over and over, and you see them constantly just escaping into preferred tasks and ignoring the non-preferred, then you know you have a problem. Yeah. So basically, it's when it's causing stress and when it's causing performance to decline, then then it's an issue. Yep. And when it, whenever it's happening over and over and over again, it's normal for any teenager or even any successful adult to procrastinate and wait to the last minute. And, you know, life happens, things happen. But when it's just constantly happening and there's tons of missing assignments and nothing seems to remediate the issue, you know, a lot of mm-hmm. us will procrastinate and we'll learn from that experience to not do it again. And the next time it comes up, we'll improve. So kids with executive dysfunction won't improve. They'll let it happen mm-hmm. again and again and again. Got it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Because I think as a parent, I'm always thinking, all right, how much do I just let her fail and let her figure it out? Because I'd rather have her miss assignments now in sixth grade than fail out of college or something like that. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's, that, that is correct. Uh, so if you, uh, if you're, if you're working with someone who, uh, you know, is in sixth grade and misses an assignment, uh, if it's not a chronic issue, you, you know, you want, you want to respond to it with, you know, positive reinforcement, love and care. And you just want to have that specific response in terms of, okay, you know, what can we learn from this? What happened? You know, you don't necessarily need to have negative reinforcement if it's happening once or twice. And you don't need to make such a big deal out of it if it's a, you know, a very young student. Right. Uh, It's, you know, sometimes it's, you know, really think about it. Sometimes it's better for a kid to go out and play with their friends and exercise than to be sitting in the house doing hours of homework, which some schools give. So you really have to kind of weigh the situation. You know, yeah. if your if your son really needs to, especially now after we've been in quarantine for a year yeah. Yeah, and, definitely. And, and kids have been home playing video games, you know, some, hey, let the teacher know he had an opportunity to go outside and play sports with his friends. Sorry, he didn't get this done. You know, there's, you, you have to weigh your pros and cons. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wanted to go back to the screen time conversation because I've witnessed some really interesting conversations about that in just different professional groups and things like that. You know, it seems like the narrative is screen time is bad, technology causes issues, but at the same time, we use it a lot. So I am just curious because I have seen some people say things like, oh, this is you know, he's he's online gaming and he's interacting with his friends and he's building his language skills and building problem solving and cognitive skills. And and then I think I've heard other people say things like, oh, it builds hand eye coordination. <laughs> and uh, so, yep. you know, just throwing out different potential benefits of gaming and screen time in general. And obviously, we all had to really lean into that this year because it was for a while, the only way to interact with people and get things done. But when do you know if your child is overdoing it and and is just has too much screen time? When does it become an issue? Yes. So this is a so this is a very interesting thing. Obviously, technology and games and screen time are taking over all of our lives. All of the research shows that there can be a very significant negative impact to over screens 
as the brain is developing, like I said before, up until the age of 20, 22, 23, 24, you know, mm-hmm. that range. And parents tend to, uh, you know, due to the behaviors and due to, you know, different things, parents tend to rationalize these things in their brain and say things like, oh, he's socializing. He's using great language. He's doing the hand-eye coordination, just like, just like you, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But you really have to sit there and, and notice and think and listen to the language your son is using when he's playing online games with his friends. Is that really social conversation or are they just talking about the game the entire time? Mm-hmm. Are they really building social relatedness skills? Are they really learning pers- perspective taking skills or are they just talking about how to win the game or how to get the most kills or how to do this or do that? You know, it's really not real language and is it is not a true social experience. I know there's so many people out there that will will disagree with me and have joined the positive sides of gaming. Look, gaming is fine. You can your son can game, your son can do social skills, can do all those things, but it cannot replace true social experiences. Going out and playing sports with your friends, going out riding bikes with your friends, going on walks with your friends, doing anything, imaginative play, pretend play is the most important thing for building executive function skills. This is why, you know, kindergarten, first grade are so play-based because play is external at at that age. And we learn to internalize our play, which allows us to come up with multiple solutions and plan, prioritize, problem solve. You know, gaming is everywhere nowadays. So all kids are going to game, but there has to be structure. You cannot have a household with open access to gaming where the kid can just play whenever they want, as long as they want. You have to have limits because these games are addictive. You know, the the DSM just put in video game addiction into the DSM. Yeah, it's a a legitimate, uh, it's a legitimate disorder now. And, you know, we, we regulate things like gambling, uh, you know, to people, but these online games and these tournaments and these, and these things are just as addictive and it's really having a negative impact on kids. And uh, I cannot tell you, like I said before, it's like 95% of the ADHD executive dysfunction kids that come my way are doing nothing but Minecraft, Roblox, Fortnite, Call of Duty, and it, it's just taking over their lives and it's affecting their relationships, their family, their school, everything. So no, I do not think gaming is a social experience. I think it needs to be, it needs to be <laughs> yeah. analyzed deeper and you have to have structure in the home. You have to make sure that non-preferred is done before preferred. You have to build that social reciprocity. You have to build that structure. You have to build that social perspective taking. You have to have that that structure in the home so that your child has accountability, responsibility, and recognizes, you know, responds well to the structure in the home. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that sometimes people don't realize that if you took that away, what would be left? I mean, what would be left with the way that you spend your time if you didn't have that? Yeah, that's a that, that's a very interesting question. And, you know, <laughs> and and like like I've told parents, like I, I've said this before on my social media a million times, I have never worked with a single family that ended up regretting putting in screen time structure or taking away video games altogether. Like I'm never going to uh-huh. recommend taking away games altogether. That's up to the parent. Some parents just get so fed up with it, they take it away. But every single student that I've worked with that had screen time either taken away or reduced 
ended up flourishing. And it's, it, it's amazing in terms of That's... grades, in terms of self-regulation, everything. And, you know, those first week, two weeks, it's always, oh, what's he going to do now? He's, he, he's going to sit in his room. He's going to be angry. He's not going to know what to do. These kids will figure it out. It's that first transition of, okay, now how do I spend my time? They're eventually going to pick up new hobbies and pick up new ways to spend their time. And it's also a skill for them to be able to tolerate boredom and regulate through boredom. Mm -hmm. That's an actual mm -hmm. skill. You, yeah. you, you, we can't constantly be stimulating ourselves with screens and phones and games. We have to be able to sit and be with ourselves and regulate and feel good within our environment. And that's going to take some time to build if they're constantly stimulating on video games. So yes, it may take a week or two weeks and there may be extreme behaviors in some cases. A lot of kids like to say, oh, I'm going to kill myself and, and take it to the extreme and those sorts of things. And of course, you know, that needs to be dealt with. But overall, get through those first two weeks and create this structure. And you're going to see your child picking up new hobbies and recognizing the strengths that have been dormant this entire yeah. time. Yeah, that's fascinating mm -hmm. that how they just you take it away and all this other stuff comes out. <laughs> Oh yeah. 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 Definitely check it out on my Instagram on the, on yeah. the, the, the save stories. I, I screenshot the, the emails I get from parents and they'll say, okay, you know, screens were taken away on this date. Since then grades have shot up here. He's more attentive at dinner. Now he's kinder to his sibling. He has more friends. He gets more sleep. He eats better. He exercises. It's really amazing uh, how they, they figure out themselves. And first of all, it's not a parent's responsibility to schedule their kids and say, okay, we're taking away games. Now I want to see you do this, this, this. Your kid is going to figure out themselves. They're, they're, mm -hmm. They'll find other ways to spend their time. Yeah. And we'll, for anybody listening, we'll link to some of these things that you're mentioning. So... Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and I'm taking a second to take a quick break to share a resource with you that is going to be extremely helpful for you if you want to actually know about some of these skills that Mike has been talking about in this interview. We are talking a lot about self-regulation and attending, and that is one of the eight executive functioning skills that help us to regulate ourselves and get things done and engage in productive behavior. Those skills that are so important for kids to develop in the elementary and secondary age years and those skills that are going to help them eventually be successful adults one day that are healthy and productive. So I wanted to remind you that if you haven't checked it out yet, you can go to drkarendudekbrandon.com backslash parent guide. And I actually have a free guide that outlines the eight executive functioning skills so that you can learn what those skills actually are. So you can have a better understanding of whether or not your kids might need work in one of those areas, and also start to have a better understanding of how to help them. Sometimes understanding what these skills are can help us to troubleshoot and figure out where in the process is the breakdown happening, because that is the first step in figuring out what to do to actually support your kids. Again, you're just going to want to go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash parent guide 
and you will want to sign up for the guide. And then you're going to want to go to your inbox and check your email. You're going to have to confirm your email address. You may have to check spam and promotions to make sure it didn't go in there. But then once you do that, I will send you that guide and you will be added to my email list. And not only will you get the guide, but you will be the first to know when I publish new content like podcast episodes. And also you'll be the first to know when doors to my parent training program are open. At this point, I want to pop back to the interview, but first I wanted to share something really quickly. So as I'm recording this interview, it is April of 2021. So we are about a year or a little bit more into the COVID pandemic. In the past, I have gone through kind of a slump in January or February It may be a little bit of seasonal depression from not being outside a lot. I know that I do tend to get a little bit depressed when I can't be outside as much. But this year was different for obvious reasons. And I was trying to figure out why am I doing all these things that are supposedly supposed to inspire me and make me feel happy and get me going? I'm doing all the things. Why am I feeling so depressed and unmotivated to really do anything? So I'm scrolling social media. I'm looking at people's Instagram reels and seeing all these things, all these stories of these awesome things that people are doing. And yes, it was a little different this year because of COVID, but people were still posting the Insta selfies and things like that. And I'm realizing that looking at all of that stuff, while it's supposed to make us feel more connected, I felt more disconnected than I ever have. And as I'm looking at all of these things, as I'm looking at this technology, I realize that it actually doesn't make me feel good. And it just made me look at things with a discerning eye. I started to wonder, you know, if I'm an adult with intact executive functioning skills And I understand all of these things that are going on around me, and I'm still feeling depressed and unmotivated. What's going on with these kids who maybe haven't developed these executive functioning skills yet, who don't quite understand the impact of the media they're consuming? What's going on? And what kind of input are they looking at? And what is it doing to their attention spans, to their self-esteem and their ability to self-regulate, and just their overall mental health. So that's why I wanted to wrap up this conversation with Mike with a conversation about that as it relates to attention and focus. So now I will pop back to the remainder of the interview. Since we're on the topic of technology and gaming, I wanted to talk a little bit about social media because I have noticed something really interesting in the the, some of the groups that I am in. So people who so it's a lot of business entrepreneur groups, a lot of social media influencer kind of things. And there's a lot of people who struggled in school growing up and have found a way to you know, start a business or start an Instagram account and do things like that, which is awesome that people have figured out a way to find something that they really like doing and be successful. But at the same time, 
there is also this narrative that is being put out there about you know, you can have it all and it can be easy and, and you know, people's mm-hmm. Instagram reels and you're not really seeing the full story. You're not really seeing when people have accomplished whatever it, it is, like maybe they've written a book, maybe they've started a business, maybe they're a really gifted athlete. They've done something, but we're seeing the highlight reel and that's the story that's being told to people. I see it being shared with my generation. I see it being shared with the younger generation and some of the accounts that my own child follows. And I find it very concerning because I'm, I don't think that we should set ourselves up to kill ourselves and always have hard work and never have fun and all of those things. But I just wonder what this narrative is doing as far as how it's affecting people's resiliency and just understanding how you actually build it. Yes. Does that make sense? I it mean, makes, what are you- it makes perfect sense. Yep. So, so this is this is uh, this is basically almost like the second pandemic going on. Yeah. Uh, so I know exactly what you're talking about, and this is a problem with all kids. You know, this is a serious issue now with famous YouTubers and influencers and all this stuff now, and being able to pick your phone up and having a basically a computer in your pocket and mm-hmm. being able to see all these people and their highlight reels, as you say, but. Aside from typical kids, this feeds directly into the problems with ADHD and executive dysfunction. So kids with ADHD and executive dysfunction, they cannot wait. They are now versus not now. They want instant gratification. They cannot delay gratification due to the long list of problems with time management, uh, self-regulation, self-motivation, future thinking skills, nonverbal working memory. It's so hard for them not to have what they want now, which is why they need that constant stimulation of video games and why they dive into video games. They cannot begin, persevere, or have resiliency through non-preferred tasks. And what we have now with social media is constant uh, reinforcement to instant gratification. We have no way of knowing what is going on behind the scenes? We don't know what that person did to become an influencer, what that person did to become a famous YouTuber, how hard they worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, Malcolm Gladwell said it great in one of his books, and I always talk about it during, during my presentations, is we basically value instant success over hard work. And it's causing a major issue with resiliency. And resiliency is something significantly lacking in today's youth. They don't want to you know, they want to be good at something immediately. They don't want to, and, and we all know practice makes perfect. If you pick right. up a new skill, you pick up a new talent, you pick up a new sport, you're probably going to suck at it the first couple of times. You're not going to uh-huh. be so good. It's going to take time for you to build competence and confidence. And these kids don't have the resiliency. They don't want to join an extracurricular activity or a sport or make a new friend or whatever, because it takes work, it takes time, and you're probably gonna fail. And they don't see failure as a learning experience. They see it as something that reflects upon them. I'm a failure. Instead of, okay, I failed here, how can I improve and do better the next time? They don't wanna be bad at something at first. They want to improve. They wanna be good at it immediately. So, mm-hmm. you know, they, they see these, these people on social media, these, you know, a lot of them are famous gamers, you know, that they'll basically put up a highlight reel of them being amazing at a game immediately. 
and it causes a lot of problems with them and it causes them to have, you know, some mental health issues and some negative self-talk and those sorts of things. So that is a significant problem and I don't see that going away anytime soon. Yeah. So really it's just an awareness of that it's there. People aren't going to get off of social media, but I guess, would you say a uh, kind of a limited diet of social media time? Well, the most important thing is, you know, the Harvard Center of the Developing Child does great research on resiliency. And the best way to build resiliency in students is through relationships and experiences. Mm -hmm. And that is what Grow Now Therapy is all about. And what we do is we always try to make sure that there are varied experiences and diverse relationships. And if we have just conversations with our children and start to recognize what are they watching on YouTube? What are they getting into? Who are their role models? Who are the people they look up to? What do they enjoy? And we have to have conversations with them. We can't expect a teenager to watch a YouTube video, a famous YouTuber and say, oh, I wanna be just like him. He got this famous by doing nothing. He was just, he just did this instantly. I wanna be a YouTuber. We have to have conversations with them. We have to sit with them, figure out what gets them going, what gets them engaged, mm -hmm. what, get, what gets them motivated, and have that open dialogue, have that yeah. open conversation. Positive relationships and meaningful experiences are what builds resiliency, and it helps them be okay to take risks, take challenges, get up, fail, try again. Uh, we have to be there for our kids, uh, and sometimes you do need that neutral third party, like a counselor or a therapist, because a lot of kids with ADHD tend to blow up instantly on their parents. Yeah. Uh, so you do need to, you know, you have to have those conversations. You have to, uh, we can't expect these kids to figure out, figure it out on their own. So it's not just about taking things away. It's really about increasing the range of the different activities that you are engaging in. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's never only about taking things right. away. You mm -hmm. know, I, what I'm saying is that there has to be yeah. structure, there has to be structure in the home and, mm -hmm. if, and there has to be social reciprocity in the home yep. where if there is a negative experience, things need to be taken away. But in terms of figuring things out and interpreting everything in the environment, all the various stimuli we have today, you know, we live in a world full of distractions today. There's distractions everywhere. And these kids can misinterpret things. They can negatively self-reflect on specific things. It's really hard on them. So, you know, we need to be there for these kids to help them interpret the information they're taking in. Yeah, definitely. Well, I feel like we could talk for hours <laughs> yeah. on this topic, but this is a good place to wrap up. But before we do that, I wanted to um, get some information from you about where people can find where people can find you and connect with you and learn a little bit more about what you do. Sure. So, yeah. You want to share yeah. that? Yep. Uh, my website is grownowtherapy.com. Uh, there's links there to my Instagram, my Facebook, my YouTube. If you're a speech and language pathologist, I have a, a really great interactive group on there where I talk about ADHD and its, and its connection to language. It's called ADHD for speech language pathologists. Uh, some great therapy ideas there and how to approach executive functioning in your sessions. Find me on Instagram at Grow Now Therapy. That's where I'm, I'm most active. Mm -hmm. uh, you can find me on YouTube as well on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, so definitely reach out. I love chatting with speech pathologists. I love chatting with parents. So if you have any questions at all, feel free to shoot me a DM, shoot me an email, reach out. Uh, I love working with each individual family. Part of specializing in ADHD and executive functions is you have to 
approach it as, as an individual. You never take a one size fits all approach. So I love, you know, that, that's what I love so much about, about this career is every family's different. Every student's different. Everyone needs a different treatment plan, different goals. Uh, so definitely feel free to reach out to me and I'd be happy to help. So where are you for your, your services? Where are you licensed and where, what States are you able to provide services for? Yep. If so, people so, wanted to have a, an executive functioning evaluation for their child. Absolutely. So I'm licensed in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland uh, as a speech and language pathologist. And of course, I take that speech and language approach to ADHD and executive functions. Parents can always, you know, I can always answer questions and parents can always reach out to me nationwide, worldwide. So definitely feel free to reach out and DM me uh, and I'd be happy to help as well. Great. Well, thank you so much for sharing all this information. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This was great. This wraps up my interview with Mike McLeod. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But stay tuned for episode 10, where I am going to be talking to Mary Leonard, my sister, about single parenting after a divorce and emotional well-being for both kids and parents. I'm really excited to share that with you. I think it will be really useful to you if you are a single parent or think that you are going to be a single parent in the near future. Or if you have someone that you love that is working through that, it will be really helpful for you to hear. So if you have been listening to these episodes and you've been enjoying them, I would love it if you could leave me a review on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you do, then in a future episode, I may give you a shout out. So I would love it if you would do that. And for now, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Are They 18 Yet podcast, but I will see you in episode 10. Thank you so much for listening. <laughs>